nervous habits. Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits, guys. Uh, Ricky here. Wanted to provide you with a little bit of a life update. Um, right now, I am knee-deep in the throes of my first year as a law student, my first semester, actually. Um, it's been two two months, September, October. It's been about 10 weeks, and it's felt like <laughs> it's felt like maybe 10 months. Um, law school has been about what you would expect. It's been an adjustment for sure, every bit as challenging as people say. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to to put into words. I guess the best analogy I can think of is um, imagine in when you were in college and you had you know finals exam period where you were juggling um, papers and formal exams for five different classes um, within a very short period of time. I think that's generally how it feels to be in law school is kind of having to um, balance competing. Um, academic demands simultaneously. I, I think that's been the biggest challenge. Um, and and you guys know I've been out of school for you know for five years, so uh, it's it's been arduous. But I, I've definitely learned a lot. Um, which you know, considering it, it really only has been a couple months, um, that for me it, that's been maybe the most striking um, thing. And I, obviously, I'm also surrounded with maybe the smartest people I, I, I've ever been around. I mean, no disrespect to coworkers or, um, you know, people I've encountered in my my circuitous uh, journey through my career in the last five years, but definitely um, the, you know, the level of, of intellectual acumen and the life experience, the perspective that people have here is, is unparalleled. Um, and, and it's funny, I mean, I, there are actually days here in law school where I can almost visualize my brain absorbing all this information like you know the the uh, memory center the hippocampus just strength just strengthening and and you know we're working out it's 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 muscle so to speak anyway all this is to say that uh i am checking in with you guys to let you know the next 30 days are gonna be a big time struggle for me here in law school it's it's final season so Unfortunately, the podcast is going to have to go on the back burner for um, at least a month or so. We're going to be on hiatus until uh, mid to late December. Um, so, uh, you, you know, I, I am sorry to, to share that, to have to share that with all you guys. Um, but the good news is we do have a lot of exciting content uh, coming out uh, next month. And of course, uh, going strong into into 2020, the end of the year, uh, maybe we'll do something like year in review because 2019 was the first year for um, for Nervous Habits podcast. And you know, th- this podcast has meant a lot to me over, over the last year. Um, and I hope that I've, you know, entertained, um, informed, uh, enlightened some of you guys in in some capacity. Um, but it's for me, it's been a welcome reprieve from the chaos of the rest of my life and even during law school to be able to sit down and, and research for an episode or record an episode or, um, you know, interface with some of you guys online. Uh, it's That's been, uh, you know, a great outlet for me uh, because, you know, having to learn about implied warrants of merchantability and you know, the thresholds for summary judgment, it's, that, that stuff is every bit as dry as it sounds. And, you know, the podcast has helped, helped keep me motivated in, in that span. Um, 
But I figured, you know, since we are going on hiatus, I would take this opportunity to kind of read through some feedback that I've gotten uh, over email over the last few months. And as always, guys, uh, podcast at gmail.com, podcast at gmail.com, best place to reach me um, on Twitter at NervousHabits underscore on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, and on YouTube, just search Nervous Habits Podcast, and you'll get some uh, quick hits, some short clips uh, of episodes of the pod. By the way, if <laughs> I, I if my voice sounds tired or if I sound more drained, uh, less energized than um, than usual, uh, and it's it's tough to say with certainty, you know, unless you like unless you like binged a bunch of podcast episodes in a row, and now you're trying to compare, uh, you know, this episode and. Uh, my inflection or whatever to previous episodes that well, I, I guess has to say like definitely my reservoir my energy <laughs> reservoir is a little depleted um, you know at the end of a long week in law school um, so that's so that's why I don't want anyone to be concerned <laughs> concerned about my well-being but um, if <clears throat> if I sound like you know a 12 out of 10 instead of a, a 30 out of 10 like usual and that's that's why first email here guys is from Brian Varnson he's been a regular listener to the podcast since uh, maybe the second or third episode. And Brian wrote to us um, on episode 23, which was on automation. And his email writes, um, the only thing about the uh, 23rd episode, or rather the only thing about the automation segment on the 23rd episode is that it makes it sound like the people displaced from low-skill jobs will be the ones having to scramble and learn tech skills. Yes, jobs will be created, but the people collateral damage from the developments will most likely not be able to compensate for the change in job environment, or the majority won't at least, i.e. the former cab driver will not be the Google software engineer this time next year. So I think I understand, Brian, what you're saying. What you're saying, so in the episode, if you didn't listen to it, we talked about how new jobs will be created um, with the onset of, of AI and technological advances and self-service and, and what have you. Um, but there will be obviously jobs that are lost, like we talked about the kiosks and, and the self-driving cars. So I guess what Brian's trying to say is that the net gains and net losses won't be the same. Like you won't have the same people, the same class of person moving from one field to another. It's going to be, you know, some some people are going to be harmed and different people are going to benefit. If, if I'm understanding you correctly, so I I guess I guess that's that's a valid point. Um, so it's not going to be uniform in terms of how the impact is. Some some people are going to be disproportionately more more effective than others. Um. Good part. Uh, he writes. Good point about non-teaching faculty driving up costs. Read that a while back, and most don't realize forces at work. Um, and then he links an article from Bloomberg, uh, and it's titled "Is the World Economy Sliding into Its First Recession Since 2009?" There's been a ton of literature um, about that, about economic trends, and people, um, you know, uh, uh, prime economists are saying that in the next year or two, uh, we could see another recession. Uh, like we did in, in the last decade. So that's something to watch and, and maybe we'll revisit that in another economics uh, session with either Stephanos or Brian, if you ever want to come on the podcast, um, since it sounds like you really know your stuff, um, maybe we can collaborate on that as well. I uh, also have an email here from um, Jenna. It doesn't have a, a last name or initials. So, so Jenna writes, um, question about simulation episode you did. That was episode 24, I believe. Um, if we really did live in a simulation, how would we be able to know that we lived in a simulation? Wouldn't the simulation make it impossible for us to figure that out, like in movies like The Matrix? Love the episode and show. Okay, so I, we actually kind, or I actually kind of um, cover this a little bit in the episode when we were talking about if we're living in a simulation. In the episode, I talked about we could disprove, we couldn't 
disprove that we're not living in a sim, or rather, <laughs> it's a little complicated semantically. It, we couldn't we couldn't prove that we're not living in a simulation because any evidence that we got could in itself be simulated. And then the inverse of that, we could prove that we. Oh God, it's been it's been a long day. It's been a long day, Jenna. Bear with me. Um, so okay, I'm gonna give this another try. Um, we could prove that we were living in a simulation. Because of, as I mentioned, if you looked at like the quantum physics, there are certain metrics that would verify it for us. Um, now, I don't know if, if, if we, we could even pragmatically ascertain those numbers, but from a theoretical perspective, we could do it. And that would suffice to prove that we are living in a simulation. But the inverse, I said, we couldn't prove that we're not living in a simulation because any evidence we got could be simulated. It's, it's, it's like a circular um, kind of, uh, you know resolution to that. So now, Jenna, your question is, if we did live in a simulation, how would we be able to know? Because wouldn't the simulation... Okay, so, so I guess I didn't really cover this in the episode. What you're saying is, how could we trust... Or what you're saying is, why, if we're living in a simulation, would the simulation even allow us to know that we're living in a simulation? I think that's your question. Um, and if I'm wrong, please feel free to follow up. But that I, I think that's an excellent point. Is And that, that could almost serve as, as some evidence that we are not living in a simulation because why would the simulation, why would the ancestor civilizations that that I talked about in the episode um, or rather the future civilizations running ancestral simulations, why would they allow us to suspect that we're living in a simulation? Why would they put that seed of doubt in our head? It, it could also be out of their control. I mean, it's almost like when you create a an autonomous, free-thinking, free-feeling person or you know, creature, you know, it's the same argument that people, the argument from evil. Um, people say, how do we know that God exists? You know, or, or rather if God was real, why would we have evil in the world? And one of the counter arguments to that is people say, well, God created people to think and feel freely. So, so he created us to be autonomous. So it could also be that the future civilizations that are running these ancestor simulations created us to think on our own. And then they're allowing us to suspect that we could be in, in a civil, in a simulation, but not to know with certainty. I I know that wasn't the best answer to your question. It's it's super super complicated. Um, yeah. And if you haven't listened to the episode, uh, I want to double check. I think I think it was episode twenty four. Um, right, episode twenty four. Are we living in a simulation on on Spotify as well as on um, Apple uh, podcasts? So give that a listen. Um. And it is, I mean, it, it, it is it is an interesting thought experiment because if you think about it, if I created a virtual reality and I trapped someone in there, the sole defining characteristic of the virtual reality or of the person's subjective experience of virtual reality needs to be that it's not distinguishable from everyday life. They need to think that that, 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 that that's their reality. So to allow this person to suspect that it was a virtual reality would almost deprive them of the very thing, the very quality that makes it a virtual reality to begin with. So I don't even know if you realized what you just touched on when you asked that question, but that could be evidence that we're not living in a simulation. So I might have to make a part two of that episode. Um, okay, thank you so much for uh, for the question. Um, on Twitter, uh, Brandon, Brandon D, actually my cousin, wrote this. And this was also, I believe, in response to episode uh, 24. He wrote, Cool note slash idea from Nervous Habits. Humans and chimpanzees are the two most intelligent animals on Earth, and their DNA is 90% the same, yet humans are light years more intelligent than chimps. 
This is just one intelligent intelligence gap on just one planet throughout the known universe. With this being said, it would be extremely naive to think that humans are the most intelligent species in the universe. It's almost conceited to believe this. The probability of there being millions of other much more powerful intelligent life throughout the universe is very likely. People really don't like to hear this and end up refusing it altogether. But considering how large the universe is and how small we are in the grand scheme of things, the odds are definitely not in our favor. We are literally nothing. Throw your ego away. So, Brand, I mean, I, that's that's really, you know, incredible insight and um, t- took some of the ideas from the simulation episode and, and kind of like brought them uh, to the next level, um, a step forward. And in the episode, um, we talked about the Fermi paradox where it reconciles the contradiction between the likelihood that there is intelligent life besides humanity in this vast universe and the lack of evidence that we have for it. And I talked about how um, if you imagine like a spectrum and you know, on one side of the spectrum is like a protozoa, like an amoeba, single-celled organism. And then the other side is, is humans. If you kind of take humans and you put them on the left of the spectrum and then you go forward and you say, what's beyond humans? If we continue to evolve or, I mean, if, if there were, you know, living things or um, entities that the discrepancy between us and them is the same as the discrepancy between us and single-celled organisms. It really puts things in perspective. And, you know, Brandon's conclusion to that is, you know, we we really are nothing. And people should should remember that and, and, and not, you know, think that they're, I hate to say it, not to think that they're special or unique or um, any of that. So a uh, really great insight, Brandon. Thanks so much for sharing that. A couple more uh, emails I want to mention here. Uh, this is Adam Z from Florida. Uh, he writes, I found some of your old episodes on YouTube. What I like most about your show is how varied the topics are, especially early on when you mixed in sports <laughs> sports and movies. Uh, what are your favorite topics to discuss? Okay. So when I first started Nervous Habits in January almost a year ago, what, 10 months ago, um, I, I really wanted it to be a, an abrogation of all of my interests, you know, like baseball and, um, uh, movies and politics and history and psychology. And over the last like 10, 15 episodes, I've kind of narrowed my focus to, as I've said to you guys many, many times before, to things that are relevant and, and in the news and, you know, people are curious about like technology, uh, like we just talked about with automation, um, like philosophy. So I don't really do a lot of sports. I think the last time I did a baseball segment was episode three or four movies. I think I might've done a movie segment in, in episode 15, but uh, I love, I mean, I love talking about, those are the kind of things I love talking about with my friends, but I just think in terms of like, in terms of trying to narrow the focus of nervous habits. I don't know. I had a, a baseball radio show in college um, and I actually had a short-lived podcast called Met Mentos. I don't know if I've ever shared that with you guys before. That was my first foray into podcasting. You might be able to look it up on SoundCloud. Met Mentos uh, and YouTube as well um, if it's still up there. And I think that talking about baseball and movies is very one-dimensional. Not to say it's not exciting and enthralling for me to share my passion and to unpeel the layers um, behind the game um, because anyone that knows baseball knows about the complexity and, and how much there is to talk about. But I feel like there's not a lot of in-depth analysis. There's not... It, I just mean relative to, you know, when you, when you think about anthropology or the study of people. Um, 
So I would say to answer your question, um, Adam, probably any topics that we do with social psychology are are my favorite. I I know early on I did a segment on um on modern dating on on dating and uh in 2019 in America. I enjoyed that a lot on, on how we, you know, how we make decisions in the dating context. Um, I really like all the, all the inform, all the stuff I've done, you know, with the crossroads of social psychology and technology and, and, um, you know, how, uh, cell phone companies and, uh, you know, the, the software developers have exploited our need for social approval. Um, and by the way, if these topics sound interesting to you, I'll just kind of like gently plug, um, modern dating was episode three and the technology, Addiction um, was episode eight, uh, two and episode nineteen, so you can look those up. So I, I think those are those are my favorite here. Um, all right, one one more <laughs> one more email um, here from Brian G. Did Brian did Brian email twice? No, that was Brian. Okay, Brian Varnson. Okay, Brian G. Um, he doesn't have a. Uh, so Brian emailed me and he said. Um, Lady Gaga, <laughs> Lady Gaga tweeted last week that fame is prison. Yeah, I, did, I, I saw that. When I saw that, I felt like it would be an interesting topic for nervous habits. Okay. Um, so Brian, I, I thought about that a lot and it's so interesting that, that you, that you bring this up actually it's super serendipitous. I, I've, I've, I've thought about making an episode dealing with, dealing with fame and what, what fame you know how fame came about, how our minds process and understand fame, um, why we desire it, what is what is it in human nature that leads these conditions to to come about inevitably? I've I've had experiences um, thinking about fame, and uh, I'll, I'll share a story maybe in a minute, um, kind of in an interaction with with an asterisk famous person, but. I don't know. I'll, I'll share my thoughts and then maybe I'll flesh it out in a later episode. But the concept, the concept of like what it means to be famous is kind of peculiar in the sense of, I don't know, I, I look at everything, you, you got to return to like our biological roots. And we are all, we are all animals. We are, we are monkeys. And yet you wouldn't think that there would be a famous orangutan or a Norwegian rat that the other rats would, would crowd around to see and they would revere and, you know... I, but what we do as people is we elevate others to these positions of admiration and adulation and we fawn after them for arbitrary, you know, made up reasons. And I think that it speaks to human nature and our tendency to look at things relative to one another, to compare, to compete, to look at someone's apparent strengths, apparent, you know, positive attributes and compare them to your maybe, you know, inadequacies or more glaring weaknesses. And it's easy to look at someone famous and envy their money and their influence and their power. But man, oh man, does it impair your ability to develop healthy relationships, self, you know, to be self-aware, to be humble, I mentioned uh, a minute ago, we were talking about Brandon's tweet, you know, about how uh, there has to be other, you know, existence in the universe and the Fermi paradox and the spectrum and, you know, let your egos go. So in the grand scheme of things, why, why are we elevating these people? Why are we wasting our valuable, finite time and attention and headspace following 
either, you know, literally, physically, whatever, people's, you know, these, this class of people's every move instead of focusing on our own. And there's nothing more distasteful or rather there are a few things that kind of leave you feeling more more gross about this than if you actually speak with someone who is quote unquote famous. And I lived in New York for five years and I don't think I really ever, it's kind of crazy. You know, I worked with a guy, um, he listens to the, uh, he listens to the podcast um, uh, and we we shared an office together at my last job and he would always, you know, I I think one of the first times I, I, I met him, I asked him, I don't know how it came up. I'm like, you know, who have you seen in the city? And, you know, he would go on, oh, I saw this basketball player. I saw, you know, this musician. One time he went out to get lunch and he came back and he said, oh, I just saw this famous comedian like at the soup stand with me. And I haven't seen anyone. And so I guess on the one end, it's almost like, okay, it, it would be kind of a, a neat experience. But as I said, I, I did I did run into um, a reality TV star who, you know, if, if you if you want to talk about the lack of utility of, of fame, I mean, reality TV, someone is being famous just for trying to be famous. So I, I you know, ran into a reality TV star um, in the park. Uh, this was, you know, in the last year or two. And... Just you could you could tell by the look in his eyes that he sees the world differently. He, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. He walks into a room. All right, I guess I mean I saw him on the street, but like he walks out in public, assuming that everyone knows who he is, that he doesn't need to introduce himself, that he's coming into a conversation, a dynamic, at a higher level, um, which is off-putting, obviously. It's not practical, and yeah, it's 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 shitty. It's shitty for sure. Not to mention, you know, I found him to be very very vain. Uh, didn't have a lot. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard it's hard to judge people until you've walked a day in their shoes. Um, but I I you know I guess I was a little disappointed, you know, with with how how he carried himself. I mean, I don't know. Like if you think about it, there are significant disadvantages to the level of fame I think that Lady Gaga was referring to obviously you don't have the privacy that you would otherwise you know you can't go out and get a sandwich or a slice of pizza without everyone bugging you for photos and you know the the scrutiny the attention uh, is alarming you have to worry about your safety every time you leave your home I, I I guess I understand all that but I'm just trying to imagine in that position wouldn't you be ultra wouldn't you be hyper aware of every move that you made? Wouldn't you be putting in a lot of effort to ensure that most of your social interactions were positive? And and I guess that would be that would be the biggest disadvantage to being famous is it's exhausting you guys to always be putting effort into a social interaction. I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever like been mingling or or you know gone to a networking function at the end of the night you you just don't want to talk to anyone you've literally emptied your your reservoir of socializing or even after like a first date you know a long first date where you're on your best behavior or a job interview it's exhausting to have to put on that front and it's nice to just be able to let let you know no effort just let yourself go a little bit and and you can never do that when you're famous because if you, you know, snap at someone, you're having a bad day, someone asks you a photo, then all of a sudden, you know, it's viral that, that, that you're a piece of shit. So, I mean, I, I guess, Brian, getting back to your question, like, I, I entered this kind of thinking that 
I would not have sympathy for people who are famous, and now, and now I think I might have a little bit, um, a little bit of sympathy for them. But as I said, like anthropologically, it's it's mystifying that we that we have fame, and you know, if humans were more advanced, I think you know what I think. Okay, so I'm tying all these like loose ends together here. We talked about the continued evolution of, of humans to a more complex, to be a more complex creature. So where does that leave our emotional capacities? Because I think fame in a way is derived from our, our insecurities and our over emotional states by the fact that we, you know, need validation and we look up with other people because we aspire to be like them. So I wonder if, you know, if humans continue to evolve or, or, you know, we are, more complex, does that mean we're in better control of our emotions, better regulators of our emotions? Do we, you know, do we lose our emotions altogether? You know, I mean, uh, Lamarckism is the idea that through use and disuse, uh, the, like, organisms can pass favorable traits down and, you know, lose ones that are, like, do, are we gonna not think, are we gonna, are we not gonna have emote, like, so many ways to go with this. But anyway, um, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's a great question. Maybe I'll flesh it out in another episode, Brian. So I don't think I've ever done this in, in the history of Nervous Habits. But what, what I actually have to do real quick, because this is this is my life now as a law student, <laughs> is I have to hit pause, um, run to take care of something for school, and then finish up this brief, you know, not even episode hiatus check-in. So I'm going to hit pause, and then I'm going to come right back. And you guys are going to hear it, and it's time travel. I'm just going to be back, all right? <laughs> and I'm back. Uh, for you guys, that was, what, like five seconds? For me, it was eight, nine hours. It's the power of time travel, power of um, 21st century technology. Uh, so last thing I want to do on this hiatus check-in, um, a couple weeks back, I posted on Twitter uh, asking for general questions if people had them about um, the show, about me, about... Um, life about you know if they, advice uh, really there's no such thing as a, as a stupid question um, so a couple I got very random um, someone asked me can you name all the Backstreet Boys um, so this is kind of tricky so when I was a kid I was I was a big Backstreet Boy and InSync in sync fan um, my sisters and I had these InSync puppets I could definitely name InSync it's uh I think it's like Lance and Joey and JC. Um, Backstreet Boys, I know there's Nick Carter because he uh, he's the brother of Aaron Carter. I want to say one of them might be Brian, maybe, or or Howie. Shit, this is actually harder than I thought it'd be. Um Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. Let's see. Backstreet Boys. Nick Carter, I got. Brian! Okay, I was right. Um AJ. I didn't say AJ Howie, Kevin Richardson. I've never heard of him. All right, so I'm, I got I got three out of five. Um, super random. I haven't thought about the Backstreet Boys. Are they still? I wonder if they're still making music because some of these bands are some of these bands are like making a comeback. You know, like I think the Jonas Brothers are on tour again or something. I mean, I didn't even know they were they were still doing music. Um, the Backstreet, yeah. All right, cool. So good question. Um, someone else asked. I think this, this is this was a more uh more serious question. Uh, what's one thing you wish one okay. What's one thing you wish you knew when you were eighteen? Mm. I like that question a lot, actually. Um, 
That's that's funny. When I did, uh, I asked, I did, I organized a couple of panels when I was working for the um, for the city a couple of years back, and that was the kind of question that I would ask. I'd ask panelists about generally like about their career. You know, like write a letter to your eighteen year old self. But I, I don't know. Like for me, I think that I wish I knew. I wish I knew, and and this is this is something that I think a lot of people would say. I wish that I knew that everything was going to be okay and not to worry so much and just to kind of take things in stride. I mean, you think that every decision you make when you're 18 is going to impact the rest of your life, but the reality is like you're you're going to be just fine, you know? Like also don't don't let other people have power over your feelings. I think for me I was very impressionable and it was easy to to sway me from one day to the next like based on how I thought others perceived me um based on like you know wanting wanting to be liked by everyone um so I think finding a way to have my own sense like strong sense of self and identity without like letting people even people I didn't know or people care about like have power over me and that was important um and there's something like like my sister tells me a lot is don't catastrophize don't like make take something really small and like trivial and let it monopolize your your headspace so yeah i guess to answer your question um just just kind of know that that it's going to be fine that everything's going to be fine and i i I mean at the risk of sounding like trite here really just like live in the moment more and like have more fun less time studying, more time with friends. I don't really talk to many of my friends from high school anymore and it's it's a shame. Um it's sad. And and we had some incredible memories together. So I guess I, I just wish I had more more time to or I'd spent more time really appreciating that and you know. And then from like a practical point of view, I wish I wish I, <laughs> I wish I moisturized um when I was 18, although I don't know many many guys that did. Um Wish I was more athletic in high school too. Um, I ran track, but it would have been cool if I, you know, put in the time to become like a better <laughs> basketball player or started hitting the gym earlier. I think that might have like paid more dividends for me. Um, almost a decade later, can you believe that? All right, um, another question here. Yeah, some some of these are really interesting. Wow, some of these are really interesting. Um, someone asked, "Are you still acting? Uh, also, where can we see things you've been in?" Um. So I I, I love I, I loved acting. It was it was like kind of a whim, um, a phase in my life where I wanted to you know on the heels of what I, what I just mentioned, I wanted to experiment, try something new, um, just kind of like throw caution to the wind and um, and go for it. And you know it didn't if I'm being honest, it didn't really amount to anything, but it was an incredible experience. Um, and I'm not doing it anymore because number one, I'm in law school, as you guys know, and I just don't have time to commit to that. Um, although they do have a like an acting club, the Gilbert and Sullivan Society at my school, so I guess like maybe if, if if I was into it, but I don't know. Like, yeah. And then I'm in D.C. instead of uh, New York, so it's it's tougher for me to uh, to find like. Oh my god! When have I ever yawned on the podcast before? That's that's uh, geez. I don't think. Wow. Um. Yeah, DC doesn't. It's not really conducive to 
to that kind of thing. So yeah, and then things that I've been in, um, yeah, I, I mean, like, I generally, I try to be more, like, judicious about what I'm putting out on the internet, especially, like, you know, in, 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 um, expectation, like, anticipation of my upcoming potential legal career, whatever, you know, is, is before me. I don't know if, uh, you know, vi- videos of me, uh, playing a, a a man being blackmailed by the Chinese mob. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe that'd be interesting for uh, potential employers, but <clears throat> for the most part, there's not a lot on, on YouTube. Um, I'm trying to think of any of the comedy because I did, I did, uh, I mentioned to you guys, um, maybe like my first episode that um, when I was in New York, I did a sketch comedy show um, that, that that ran for a couple weeks. Um, I did a couple of improv improv uh, events, and then I did stand up a few times. So, is that online? I mean, I don't think so. See, it's it, it's hard to say because um, like I I videoed it for myself, but then I guess someone else could have taken a video and put it online, which is interesting because like, do you consent to that if you're doing a show? And someone without your permission videos you and puts it online. I guess that's okay because you're putting yourself out there, you know, into the public domain when you, when you step on a stage. So to answer your question, I don't think my comedy's online. Um, I I I do have uh, I do I do have stuff saved personally. Uh, if you're really curious, I, I'm happy to happy to share it with you. I th- actually I think if you go on um YouTube and you search you search my name, you might be able to find like short clips because I did a, a demo reel. Uh, when I was looking for representation a couple years ago, so you might be able to see like some short clips if you look up my name on YouTube. Um, but yeah, uh, for the most part, the, the comedy and, and uh, the it isn't online. Um, just because I'm I'm trying to be I'm trying to be careful about what's out there. Uh, I think that's it. Let, let me double check see if I got anything else here. Yeah, I th- I think that's it. I mean, someone asked me um, who I think the next Mets manager is going to be. Uh, a lot of my Twitter following because I'm I'm like a, a fanatic baseball. I'm a baseball I'm a baseball fanatic. A lot of my Twitter following are, are baseball fans and Mets fans, so um, I might as well you know show them a little love. Uh, probably probably someone super underwhelming, maybe like Eduardo Perez or Luis Rojas. I mean, they missed out on on Joe Girardi because Mets ownership can't do anything right. Um, so I guess we're going with another first year manager. See how well that worked out with Mickey Calloway. All right, guys, that's um. I, I threw through the the uh, baseball faithful a bone there. Um, so that's I mean that's pretty much it. I, I just wanted to check in, uh, check in with you guys, let you know that I you know I I have to kind of take a break, a brief hiatus from the the podcast for a little bit just to ensure that I do well in my first semester in law school. And you know it, it's it's kind of the, the way that the system is structured for law school is a little inequitable or, or at least like. It's disproportionate, and by that I mean like your first year grades matter significantly more than anything else you do because there's this thing if, you, if you're not familiar with a, a lot most private sector employers participate in what's called on campus interviewing, which is OCI, which happens after your first year. So during OCI, you interview with dozens of employers, and if they like you, they offer you a job for or an inter or an internship for after your second year, and that usually becomes your full-time job. 
So all of these employers are only looking at your first year grades. And if you do well your first year, you've pretty much guaranteed yourself a job for after law school. So you're probably wondering, why do we have three years of law school to begin with? Um, and that's an excellent question. And that's something actually President Obama said uh, maybe like seven, eight years ago um, about why law school is three years to begin with, considering like the first year is is what employers look at like pragmatically. And then the second year, I guess, like like that's where from an academic perspective, you're actually taking, you know, pertinent courses and really narrowing your focus. Third year just doesn't seem like it's doing a whole lot, but I don't know. Um, anyway, so I have to make sure that, that, you know, I put my best foot forward in school. And as I mentioned, you know, it, it's a great environment. It's, I was worried it would be uber competitive and people would be, um, really like, you know, stepping all over each other to, to do well, but I don't think it's necessarily like that. Um, but as I said, you know, I am surrounded by, some of the most intelligent people I've ever met. It's it's like in college, the way that people say it is like in college, you know, you had a handful of people who were at the top of their class or who they they just they were always one step ahead of everyone else. They were never really challenged by the material. Um, then again, it would you know they were in the social sciences, so I know I have a couple friends that would say <laughs> that that's why. But then you go to law school, and I think everyone fit fits into that mold. Everyone was you know one of the brightest people on their college campus or, you know, everyone, um, you know, was capable of, of standing out. So that's why I think that there's, there's that layer of, um, that element, you know, where, where law school is just a completely different beast altogether. Maybe I'll do, you know, it'll be fun. Maybe I'll do a late in December or early next year. I'll do a, a good, um, an episode really breaking down, uh, maybe the lead, breaking down the legal system or more specifically breaking down law school, uh, maybe have some of my classmates on. And yeah, you know, I wanted to, to wish you guys a, a happy, happy Thanksgiving. Um, and as we approach Thanksgiving, you know, I, I, I think that it's important to, to, to remember, you know, the, it's important to remember that gratitude, how do I want to say this? I'm, I should just say that I think that and and this is this is this is the last thing last thing I'll say. I think that gratitude. It's a shame that Thanksgiving is only once a year because I truly believe that gratitude is the fundamental element of happiness. And the key, I mean, being happy is is never wondering if you are. It's it's not looking around at what's missing from your life. It's not thinking about what you know how your life could be better. It's, it's looking at what, it's focusing on what you do have and genuinely appreciating that, 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 that's there. I mean, on the second episode of the podcast, I talked about, you know, in the book, The Subtle Art of Giving a Fuck, or Not Giving a Fuck, how society and social media have conditioned us to always be craving more, more clothes, more money, more sex, more, more what we want, more what we need, more, 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 um, but as I said, you know, we will never be satisfied with that mindset and that appetite, that hunger will never be satiated. And so when you stop looking forward, you know, and, and, and you stop looking at your friend's Instagram stories and, you know, looking at what the celebrities, what the famous people are doing um, or what they're wearing or who they're surrounding themselves with. And you just say, you know what, like, I'm really grateful. I'm proud. I'm happy that I have friends that I have a loving family, that I'm healthy, that I can see, that I can hear, that I can smell, that I can taste, that I have shoes, that I have a computer, that I live in a place with warm shelter and fresh water 
and plumbing system that I can eat two, three meals a day, or you know, if you're in law school, maybe one and a cup of coffee, um, that my brain works, you know, that I have a cell phone, that I have people who love me. You know, when you when you look at all that, and and part of it, you know, we talked. I, I talked about travel a bunch of episodes ago, and, and how it broadens your world perspective, and seeing how people live on the other side of the world. You know, I, I met a girl at law school the other day who spent a couple years in in Rwanda doing humanitarian work. And she was telling me about, you know, certain um, communities where they didn't have a lot of the things that I just mentioned. Um, and then you come back here and you're like, you know what? I feel, I feel like I should appreciate where I'm at more. And this is the kind of mindset that you should strive to internalize every single day, not just once a year, but especially, especially on Thanksgiving. Just open your mind and open your heart to being grateful. And I promise you, not only will it make you a better person, but you'll be happier as a result. Um, so we are at 45, wow, like 45 minutes. This was originally planned to be a five minute check-in and now it's literally 50 minutes short of a full episode. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we will talk very soon and stay nervous, you guys, but actually stay, stay grateful. All right. Take care.